Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Forum's Matzav podcast from New York City. I'm Eli Koaz, Communications and Digital Director at IPF. And I'm Noah Schusterman, the Research and Communications Fellow. In the aftermath of the Temple Mount crisis, as tensions are subsiding after two tumultuous weeks in Jerusalem, we want to discuss the impact of those events on Israeli-Jordanian relations. As everyone probably remembers, a few weeks ago, a deadly terrorist attack at the entrance to the Holy Compound in Jerusalem led Israel to implement security measures. The Muslim world was outraged when Israel installed metal detectors, even though most holy sites are guarded using these measures. And Palestinian worshippers refused to enter the site, claiming that Israel is disturbing the status quo. As the custodian of Haram al-Sharif, Temple Mount in English, Jordan was immediately involved, trying to lower the flames and mediating between Israel and the Palestinians. While this was happening in the background, on Sunday, July 23rd, a security guard for the Israeli embassy in Jordan shot and killed two Jordanians after one of them, a 17-year-old carpenter, allegedly stabbed him with a screwdriver. The other fatality was the landlord, who was present at the scene and hit by accident. After a tense but short standoff, the guard and the other embassy staff members returned to Israel thanks to U.S. intervention and a phone call between Netanyahu and King Abdullah. The next day, the metal detectors were taken down. Things could have ended at this point, but as expected in the Middle East, the opposite happened. The Muslim world was not placated by the removal of the metal detectors and insisted the security cameras will be removed as well. Israel eventually succumbed to these demands, but the Israeli-Jordanian relations already reached a new low, after the warm, televised hero's welcome Netanyahu gave the security guard. This outraged the Jordanian public, who views this incident as a criminal case and not a terrorist attack. King Abdullah announced that Jordan expects Israel to investigate and try the security guard. I will not reopen the embassy until this happens. Subsequently, we witnessed a few disturbing events that further encroach on the bilateral relations. The guard's embassy ID was leaked to Jordanian media. Protests against Israel took place in front of the embassy, with chants of death to Israel and no Zionist embassy on Jordanian soil. Jordanian media is demanding an official apology from Israel and reimbursement to the victim's family. And recently, 78 out of the 130 Jordanian legislators signed a statement demanding closure of the Israeli embassy in Amman and withdrawal of Jordan's envoy to Israel. We almost witnessed an actual fistfight between an Israeli and Jordanian legislator at the Allenby crossing that was luckily avoided after Netanyahu instructed the Israeli MK to back down. To help us understand the severity of the situation and the possible outcomes, we are happy to welcome via phone Nimrod Novik, IPF's Israel Fellow, former Senior Advisor on Foreign Policy to the late Shimon Peres, Senior Associate at the Economic Cooperation Foundation, and a member of the Executive Committee at Commanders for Israel Security, CIS. Hello, Nimrod. Hi, good evening, and thank you for having me. Are we in the midst of a diplomatic crisis? Sort of. Um, We have another tense situation between Israel and Jordan, Uh, a derivative of uh, not a very healthy relationship uh, between the uh, Jordanian court and the Israeli Prime Minister's office. Uh, Both sides have been uh, responding uh, to domestic uh, issues more than anything else. 
Uh, and yes, we, we, we have a, a mini crisis, which I trust that the solid foundation of strategic relations will help resolve. When you're talking about domestic tensions, I think most of us um, kind of know what's going on on the Israeli domestic front. But I'm wondering, what does that mean for the Jordanians? Oh, that's, that's a, key, a key question, and you're absolutely right about it. Um, the, uh, the peace treaty between Israel and Jordan is not very popular in Jordan. Uh, and that's really an understatement. Um, uh, Jordanians were not very happy when it happened in the first place, uh, and inflated expectations as to the fruits of peace uh, have never been met. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Jordanians, um, there, there, there are more layers to it. Uh, one is the disappointment with what the peace treaty was supposed to produce for Jordan in terms of economic prosperity and other promises that were never fulfilled. Uh, the other layer is, uh, if you recall, the peace treaty between Jordan and Israel was signed not long after the Oslo Accord was signed. Therefore, there was a certain euphoria and expectations as to the pace of progress between Israel and the Palestinians. When that had not materialized, uh, Jordanian grew more disappointment, disappointed with the peace treaty, uh, and given, as you know, uh, that the majority of uh, Jordanians uh, are Palestinians, uh, with a close relationship with Palestinians on the West Bank and in Gaza, primarily West Bank, but not only. Uh, and the fact that for so many years uh, it looks as though uh, the situation is hopeless, uh, Jordanians grew uh, anxious about the appearances of having sold out the Palestinians for Jordan's own interests, let alone that those interests have not been met, at least not in the visible part of the relationship uh, that, the, that, the, that the Jordanian public is exposed to. So the peace treaty is not popular. Relations with Israel are not popular. Israel is blamed for everything that's going on uh, on the Palestinian uh, territories in Jerusalem and so on, primarily in Jerusalem. Uh, and and the, the overwhelming majority of Jordanians are totally unaware of the very important, very significant uh, security relationship that are flourishing under the radar. And on top of the security relationship, there's also the economic relationship. And in 2014, a $500, uh, $500 million gas deal was signed between Israel and Jordan for Jordan to receive natural gas from the Tamar natural gas field in the Mediterranean. And I think the economic factor here must also play a big role. It's very important for the Jordanian government to have this relationship with Israel. I think that might be even a bigger question of what holds this relationship together then, if it's so controversial for the Jordanians. Okay, I'll, I'll address both of them. Uh, the natural gas deal, uh, and even more so, uh, the water issue, uh, where Israel under Arik Sharon have uh, more than doubled the quantity allocated to Jordan uh, at the expense uh, of Israel's share. Uh, are very, very important, very significant for the Jordanian government. They don't make the relationship more popular with the general public. As a matter of fact, the Jordanian public was overwhelmingly opposed to the natural gas deal. Um, I don't think that they 
value that much uh, the benefits to a specific industry uh, in the Jordan, in the uh, uh, Dead Sea Valley, uh, the benefits from it and then the Jordanian economy there, there therefore. Uh, and the entire package of economic relationship are important uh, to the government and the public does not appreciate it. What holds the relationship together is really the strategic context. Uh, both countries value very much the security contribution of each to the other's interests. It's, um, it's a uh, clear win-win situation uh, that no person dealing with Israeli strategy or Jordanian strategy uh, can uh, underestimate the importance of, uh, but the general public is not aware of. As a matter of fact, from, Isra from an Israeli perspective, um, you mentioned uh, Knesset member, uh, um, what's his name? Oren Khazan. Oren Khazan, uh, who tweeted about the Jordanian chutzpah uh, in the way they treated uh, the situation uh, and the demands relating to, to the Temple Mount, which is a reflection of a broad segment of Israeli uh, society that is ignorant uh, of the situation. Uh, Israel considers Jordan eastern boundary, that is to say, not Jordan's border with Israel, but Jordan's border with Iraq to the east of Jordan as Israel's security boundary. Uh, Jordan is perceived by Israeli strategic thinkers as a buffer zone of stability, as an island of stability in an E in, in, an, in, an, in a sea uh, of turmoil, uh, Syria to the north, Iraq to the east, and, and now some difficulties in the Gulf as well to the south. And Jordanian security is an Israeli vital strategic interest. Likewise, Jordan is well aware uh, of Israel's investment in Jordanian stability and security. Uh, these things are not discussed uh, broadly in public. Uh, the measures are not discussed. So the only thing one can refer to without violating confidentiality is the story of decades ago, in 1970, when the Syrian tanks invaded Jordanian territory and Israeli mobilization of forces was sufficed to send them back home. Uh, they realized that Israel will fight for Jordan's independence. Uh, that story vis-a-vis ISIS, vis-a-vis -vis the civil war uh, in uh, Syria, vis-a-vis -vis the overwhelming refugee story that uh, Jordan uh, hosts, uh, something between a million and a million and a half refugees from Syria alone, um, which is a uh, which is a uh, uh, an area uh, for infiltrator of hostile forces through those innocent refugees. Uh, in all of these things, Israeli and Jordanian coordination, cooperation in intelligence and otherwise, operationally too, uh, is far reaching and, and, and quite critical for Jordanian stability and Israeli security. So would, it, so would it be fair to say that the only way to change Jordanian public support toward Israel would be for Israel and the Palestinians to make advancements toward a two-state solution? 
Look, um, there will be no calming of Jordanian-Israeli relations, and we're going to see eruptions from time to time as long as the Palestinian situation remains as it is. Um, in periods where we had a dynamic peace process, relations between Amman and, and Jerusalem were very, very good. Uh, at times when the peace process was frozen, then every small incident triggers Jordanian public protest and the Jordanian government uh, has no choice uh, but to respond. You know, there's a famous uh, statement that attributed to Henry Kissinger uh, that Israel has no foreign policy, only domestic politics. Well, Israel is not unique in that. Uh, most of the countries, certainly in the region, are driven by domestic pressures, domestic needs, the need to calm the public, and so on. So the Jordanian government is operating on two levels, uh, and it's a very carefully calculated uh, web of relationship. Uh, on the face of it, they demand of Israel, they attack Israel, they accuse Israel, and yet under the table, strategic and security coordination continues uh, without any interruption. It's a vital interest of, of, of the two. But uh, as both Jordanians and Israelis in general are more impressed with what they see than with what they suspect, then what's going on on the surface uh, is affecting the mood and the, the atmosphere in the relationship between the two countries. Now you have to add to it one more layer which is very unique and very specific, and that is Jerusalem. Uh, there are historical reasons that have to do with how Jordan was formed and where they came from and so on. But for historical reasons, Jordan always aspired to represent the Muslim world, not just the Arab world, uh, in uh, uh, protecting, uh, uh, managing uh, Haram Sharif, the third holiest shrine of Islam on top of what we call and consider Temple Mount with El Asqa, so on. Uh, whenever there's something happens around uh, Haram Sharif or Temple Mount, uh, whenever tempers uh, flare uh, in that area, uh, Jordan is very much concerned with its own public reaction to those developments. But there is another element Many Jordanians, and I would say leadership included, uh, do not dismiss the possibility that certain schools on the Israeli extreme right still entertain the notion that uh, Jordan is Palestine, that in Jordan the Palestinians have a homeland, a state, and therefore those who wish to annex the West Bank have sometimes in the back of their minds, and sometimes up front in statements, uh, argue that uh, it's time for Jordan to uh, uh, be taken over by the Palestinians or for the Palestinian nature of Jordan to manifest itself and so on. And whenever there are problems on the West Bank and whenever there are problems on Temple Mount, certain Jordanians raise concern that this, is, this might turn out to be the trigger for a move to ease out the Palestinians from the West Bank to the East Bank, that is to say, to Jordan. Uh, some suspect that the effort will be by uh, economic pressure, uh, 
Some suspect that the economic that the, the, the move to uh, expel Palestinians from the West Bank will be more aggressive. But whenever they see uh, a uh, members of the coalition, uh, be it in the Knesset or even in uh, the government itself, um, raise the possibility of annexing the West Bank and hinting that the demographic issue will be resolved in ways unspecified, they suspect that those unspecified ways are driving them to uh, uh, to cross the Jordan River into the Hashemite Kingdom. Nimrod, is it fair to say that Netanyahu doesn't fully appreciate the alliance with Jordan, or does he just believe that he can play a political game within Israel, and no matter what, the Jordanian alliance will stay in place because of reasons that we highlighted earlier? Which is it? I would say that uh, 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 in his first term in office, in the late 1990s, uh, Netanyahu didn't fully appreciate the sensitivity involved. I think he understood the importance of Jordan. He's a very intelligent man, and he's quite sensitive about Israeli security needs. He understood how Jordan is important to Israeli security interests, but I think that he was not sensitized to the effect in Jordan of steps that he has taken. Uh, obviously, this found expression in the most extreme way uh, when an Israeli uh, Mossad unit uh, tried to assassinate Khaled Mash'al on Jordanian soil. Um, I would say that in his uh, current term, he is far more aware of the consequences. But I'm afraid that in the prime minister calculations, at times, political survival, domestic politics take center stage, and other strategic national interests are being reduced to secondary importance. Do you think there's any possibility that Jordan would at some point decide to sever ties with Israel? If things are bad enough? Look, um, given given how strong we are, given how awesome we are in regional terms, uh, given how far more powerful we are than Jordan, in every measure possible, not only security, certainly in security, but economics, technology, every measure possible, uh, we are light years ahead of Jordan. Uh, we share the responsibility of uh, taking risks uh, on our side so that Jordan doesn't take risks on its side. And when those risks are really negligible, I mean, for the prime minister to avoid a photo op with the security guard who killed two people, including one innocent, in the embassy or in the residence of the embassy in Amman, uh, that was an affront that was really not called for. Uh, the move on Temple Mount without consulting the Jordanians uh, for no good reason. Um, we have to be very, very careful. We have to pamper those relationships because of the fragility 
of the Jordanian regime and its importance to our security. So yes, we may become so reckless as to drive them to extremes. Their domestic audience is something they have to, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the autobiography of uh, King Abdullah's father, King, the late King Hussein, his autobiography was, was titled Uneasy Lies the Head. The man knew that he is surrounded by adversaries and enemies, and every morning when he woke up, he has to find out which of the guns that are aimed at him are already cocked. Uh, King Abdullah is in a very similar situation with ISIS on the one hand in Syria and forces in Iraq and domestic unhappiness and the economic situation driving the young uh, unemployed to the streets and so on and so forth and, and some pockets of ISIS inside uh, Jordan. Uh, it's a very fragile situation. We have to be very, very careful that we don't force him to a point we has to yield to his domestic constituency. Then, is it possible for this situation to be resolved with an apology? Or do you think maybe it requires something a bit more substantial? I don't think that any single incident of this nature is going to cause a serious fracture in the relationship. They're far too important to the two sides for one incident. However, however recklessly one side dealt with it, uh, will lead that, will go, will, will go that far. Uh, so I expect this situation too to be resolved and whether it will be an apology or whether it will be something else, I think the parties will find a way uh, to paper it over and move on. But, but there, were, there, were, there, there are substantial differences between the situation then and the situation now. One difference is the U.S. factor. Uh, in previous, on previous occasions, the American uh, diplomatic engagement was very swift and very effective. I would say that this time it's not the case. Uh, with all uh, the goodwill uh, of certain uh, U.S. negotiators, um, we have not seen, not in this crisis, we have not seen effective U.S. Uh, diplomacy. Uh, both sides were generous enough to give the U.S. credit for resolving it, uh, but uh, but that was more a gesture of goodwill than uh, than a reflection of fact. Um, we are in the still formative uh, phase of, of U.S. Of, of the Trump administration's diplomacy in the region. So we may yet see a more energetic involvement in moments of crisis. As a matter of fact, it was suggested to the administration to use the, the most recent crisis uh, for something good to come out of it. Uh, and that is, given the concern in uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, uh, Ramallah, and Jerusalem uh, with uh, how quickly things can get out of control, uh, to use this incident in order to de develop a uh, crisis management protocol between those pr uh, players. While they will not engage each other directly, the Saudis and the Israelis certainly not yet, uh, but they can all do it via Washington if Washington creates that hotline uh, that connects all of them uh, in moment of crisis. 
the other factor, which I alluded to earlier, is it's not the same Netanyahu. Um, today's Netanyahu far more concerned with uh, his challenger on the right, uh, the Jewish Home Party with uh, Naftali Bennett, uh, is far less generous uh, when it comes to measures uh, such as apologies uh, and other steps that can calm the situation. Nonetheless, uh, as spirits calm and the Israeli public moves on from the uh, metal detectors uh, to other domestic crises, and we have another one brewing today, uh, with, the, with the investigations taking a new turn, and the Prime Minister suddenly is a suspect, which he was not before, uh, of taking bribes and so on. Uh, with, with that, uh, we, we may see a more generous uh, Israeli approach in order to resolve the situation. Now, do you think it was a mistake to have evacuated the embassy? Um, former Mossad director Ephraim Malevi described it as an inexplicable decision, and he said that if there is a moment when the presence of an Israeli embassy in Jordan is required more than ever, it is now. So what was the thinking behind that decision? I would say that uh, in addition to agreeing completely with, uh, with Ephraim Alevi, I see another problem with the evacuation of the embassy. Uh, it's very easy to evacuate. Uh, it's much more difficult to bring the team back because uh, all of a sudden the Jordanian government will have to agree with the court, will have to explain to public opinion what have changed and how come they're allowing them back in. Uh, we know the situation in Cairo. We had that situation. We had the situation when the Egyptians in the, in the days of President Mubarak withdrew an ambassador for consultations because of a uh, situation in southern Lebanon and then found it difficult to bring it back for years. We had no Egyptian ambassador here. So yes, I think, I think it was a big mistake. I would attribute it uh, to the traumatic experience in Cairo when the mob uh, took over the embassy uh, and were it not for fortified, a very fortified room uh, and the direct intervention of President Obama calling President uh, Sisi, I think it was at the time, or Morsi, I don't remember when it was, um, and forcing the Egyptians to send the army in order to evacuate our people. So that trauma may uh, played in the, in the back of the mind uh, of the prime minister. Uh, but uh, I don't think that uh, the facts on the ground uh, supported the, the Hispanic reaction. Uh, there was no mass demonstrations that could uh, be ignited or get out of control. Uh, the Jordanian uh, armed forces, police, are effective and efficient and were there, uh, surrounded the facility, the compound. I think it was a, uh, a, a rush decision, uh, considered, like most of the decisions, uh, most of the decisions in the issue of the Temple Mount were characterized by lack of thorough analysis and consultation. Thank you, Nimrod. Um, this has been very insightful, and we appreciate you joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And that brings our third episode to an end. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. 
or on Google Play. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow IPF on Facebook and Twitter, and check out Matsav blog for the latest analysis on events in the region. 